Amen. 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 Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you, Michael. Gives us the opportunity to reflect on the goodness of God and the beauty of music. Amen. Thank you. Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, where our sermon will be from today. Matthew, chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, where the Bible reads, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I'm going to speak to you briefly this morning on the topic, if I were Jesus. Let's pray one more time before we get into it. Father in heaven, we've just read your word, and now we ask for a blessing on the preaching of your word, that our hearts and our minds and all the distractions that we bring with us to this place would be removed from your Holy Spirit, and our eyes and our hearts would be focused on you, Jesus that we would see a clearer picture of who you are and who you call us to be. This is what we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were Jesus and my plan were to build a great nation from a family in whom the entire world would be blessed, I would not choose an elderly couple a childless elderly couple by the name of Abram and Sarai to do so. If I were Jesus and I needed my people to leave Egypt and to leave the bondage of slavery in Egypt, I would not choose a has-been leader in his 80s by the name of Moses to be my social justice advocate for the ancient era. If I were Jesus and I had to choose a king who would represent my messianic kingdom throughout all times, I would look in a different direction than a small young shepherd boy by the name of David with no political experience. If I were Jesus and the time had come for me as God to incarnate myself in the flesh, And I had to pick a mother. 
I would not choose a young teenage girl or a father who was entering into his second marriage. I would have chosen a more stable or more mature couple. If I were Jesus and it was time for me to set up a kingdom that would last forever, a kingdom that not even the gates of hell could overcome, a kingdom that would make the enemy tremble in fear, I would go to the most powerful and the most influential people of my time. I would petition the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus and through divine miracles and through miraculous signs and wonders, persuade him to set up leaders all throughout the kingdom who would teach in temples the truth about God. I would order the governors to set up education systems and curriculums so that every child growing up would know that you are saved by the grace of God alone. If I were Jesus, I would choose the most brightest, the most influential, the best speakers, the most academic men and women on the planet to represent me and to establish my kingdom throughout the entire world. If I were Jesus... You know what's one thing I would not do? I would not call 12 ordinary men together in a small connect group thinking that by sharing with them the mysteries of God, they could overturn the world. If I were Jesus, you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't start the first Christian youth group of teenage young men and young adults thinking that with them they could make the kingdom of God last forever. If I I were Jesus, I would choose a more sophisticated, a more robust, a more complex plan than simply calling together average people into a small group to seek the will of God. But I'm thankful this morning, and I hope you're thankful this morning, that I am not Jesus, amen? And that you are not Jesus. As we would choose the most academic or the most powerful, the richest or the most influential, Jesus throughout time chose average men and women, ordinary men and women to be his witness throughout history so that they could be witness to an extraordinary God. I love the message of Jesus because it is so simple to know that if you can believe in Jesus as the Savior for your sins who died on the cross for you, you can be saved. I love the message of Jesus of how simple it is, but I also love the method that Jesus left with us to emulate, a method that if you are young or if you're old or anyone in between, you can come together in a small group in a connect group for the purpose of getting to know God and each other and making a difference in the world. A simple method of ministry that any person can emulate. I'm in our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 16 because Jesus is with his connect group and he's gone to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee and this place to the disciples is very unfamiliar and it is uncomfortable. They are Jews used to being surrounded by Jewish worship, but here they are surrounded by pagan religions all around them. 
Have you ever seen a picture of a Greek god with the upper body looking like a man and the lower body looking like a goat? Yeah, that's the Greek god Pan, and that's where they are at in Caesarea Philippi. It's a place that built a monument near a mountain to celebrate his uh, divinity as, as a Greek god. And it's there in this unfamiliar and uncomfortable place that Jesus with his small group with his connect group, begins to open up the conversation. And like every good small group leader, Jesus doesn't start with a ramble or a uh, a monologue. He opens the small group with an open-ended question in the passage. He says to his disciples, who do men say I, the son of man, am? And you can imagine in this small group setting that the disciples don't take a long time to answer this question as they're in a foreign place. They quickly respond. Some say you are John the Baptist because maybe you preach a a sermon of repentance and coming to God like him, of washing away your sins. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you are Elijah the prophet because the miracles that you do, Jesus, are similar to the miracles that Elijah did. And and, and others said, well, some say, Jesus, you are Jeremiah, because Jeremiah spoke poorly about the temple and the leadership of the temple, and you, Jesus, seem to speak poorly about the temple and the leadership of the temple. And they answer, no problem, you're one of the prophets. But, But Jesus, like any good small group leader, he starts with the peripheral facts, and then he asks a question about their personal faith, an open-ended question. He says to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, I'm reminded by this passage that you can go to a Christian church your whole life. You can attend a Christian school. You can work for a Christian institution. You can be surrounded by a Christian culture and still not know who Jesus is. At this point, the disciples had already been with Jesus for three years. And still, after eating and sleeping and walking with Jesus, they did not know who he really was and why he was really there. Jesus, he asked them this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I can't help but notice that the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ at this point in Matthew did not come through the wonderful preaching of the biblical text. Even though you know I love a good biblical word, and I hope you do too. The revelation of Jesus did not come through a divine miracle or through fancy music or through a curriculum that teaches and is strategically set up to teach the gospel. No, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the disciples first came through the context and in the atmosphere of a small connect group. That in the quietness of community, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he allowed the Holy Spirit to give them the right answer. See, I'm convinced that the best evangelists going forward in the future are not going to be the best orators. They're not going to be the best preachers, but they're going to be the best listeners. People who care enough about individuals, not just to tell them their opinion, but who take the time to care about others to listen to what they have to say. 
Jesus set us an example that you don't have to give the right answers for someone to come to the right conclusion. That in the context of community, trusting the Holy Spirit, you can ask someone a question and let God speak to them for themselves. And that's what Jesus does here in this story. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and in the quietness, imagine the quietness of that small group. The Spirit of God could be felt by one individual in the room. As Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Do you want to gain a closer relationship with him? Do you want to have the best opportunity for your friends and your family to get to know the saving grace of God. Maybe for a moment, I want you to consider that it's not going to be through biblical preaching, even though I love it, or wonderful music, even though I love it, or our wonderful institutions, though we love it. But it will happen in the context of a small group, in a connect group where men and women come together with the sole purpose to seek a revelation of Jesus Christ for themselves. I remember uh, as a young teenage boy, I was recently converted and, and became a Christian. And so what I started to do was I started to read the Bible for myself for the very first time. At night, I would stay up and uh, for the first time, I'd pick up this book and I'd read the pages of scripture. And I can tell you guys, what I had heard about Jesus it wasn't exactly what I read about Jesus. And I was so amazed at the revelation of Jesus Christ that came to me through the word of God that each and every one of us have access to. But, but there came a point where what I had learned and what I had studied, I couldn't keep to myself. And so I had to share it with other people. I didn't have any training. I didn't really know much about the Bible. So I went into my ad building down there at the academy. I took my devotional Bible from Barnes and Nobles. I put it on the photocopier upside down. And I copied the devotional section that had a bunch of questions about a Bible text. Printed out, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 copies. And I brought it into the dormitory. I put it upstairs in the upstairs lobby. I got on the uh, intercom, you know, where they used to have those in, in academies, uh, where it goes throughout the entire dorm. And I said, uh, hey, guys, um, I'm going to have a, a Bible study at 7 o'clock if you want to come. Uh, okay, cool. Bye. <laughs> and then I put the phone down. And as I went upstairs and prepared at 7 o'clock, uh, some of my sophomore friends came to join me. And some random juniors and seniors came to join me as well. And it was the first time that in a community without an adult, we opened the Bible and we read it just for the purpose of getting to know who God was. And I can tell you, though, I've been through many beautiful sermons and though I've read the Bible a lot before then, um, there was a new and unique experience that I understood the identity of Jesus in my life in a new way in community. It was something special that nothing else had been able to provide for me because we were there as just individuals wanting to get to know Jesus for ourselves. You know, it's actually happening, the same thing at Spencerville Adventist Academy. 
Uh, some of the students are actually doing that right now. I won't say who it is, but it's actually happening at the academy right now. They're coming together in small groups on their own, and they're discovering a greater picture of who Jesus is. But throughout that small group time as a young man, I not only discovered more of who Jesus was, but I discovered more of who I was. I not only learned the identity of Jesus, but I learned more about my identity. And that's exactly what happens in our passage this morning. Peter, through the revelation of Jesus Christ in the, through the Holy Spirit in a small group, he knows who Jesus is. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, P and Jesus responds to Peter. Now that you know who I am, I can tell you who you are. You're no longer just Simon, son of Jonah, but you are Peter. You are the rock in which the stone, uh, you are the stone in which the rock of my church will be built. See, as soon as Jesus was recognized by Peter, as soon as the identity of Jesus was recognized by Peter, Peter recognized his identity in Christ. You see, before Jesus' identity was recognized by Peter, Peter was known by his family and by his friends as Simon, son of Jonah. The reason all throughout Matthew you hear him being referred to as Simon Peter is that they don't want you to get mixed up with Simon the Zealot. And so Peter, when he identifies Jesus, finds his, uh, the identity of Jesus, then he knows who his identity is in Jesus. And you know, when I look at the world today and I look at the Christian church, I wonder sometimes if we really know who Jesus is. If we really have our identity in Christ. Because if you knew who your identity in Christ was, if you knew who Jesus was and your identity in Christ, you wouldn't have to spend 80 to 90 hours a week working and neglecting your family and, and uh, neglecting the church life so that people would recognize you for how brilliant you are. If you knew who Jesus was and you knew who you were in Jesus, you wouldn't spend all your time uh, ignoring matters of faith and trying to prove yourself in academia or in your business adventures. You know, sometimes I recognize that people of faith, we don't really know our identity in Jesus. So that when someone asks me or asks you, hey, tell me about yourself, uh, tell me what you're about, you will brag about your professional life or you will pontificate about your business uh, uh, success. And it helps me recognize that we don't quite yet understand who Jesus is. Because once you know who Jesus is, then you know who you are and you don't care what anyone else has to say about you. That when you are a follower of Jesus, your identity doesn't come from your career. It doesn't come from your athletic ability. It doesn't come from your academia or your political affiliation. No, when you're a follower of Jesus, your identity comes from being a son and daughter of God. And have you noticed that the world right now is really missing its own identity? People are struggling to find identity. It's not only teenagers who struggle with their identity, it's us grown-ups too. And have you noticed, even in the world of gender orientation, people are looking for their identity. They are searching for where they belong. They're trying to find a place where they can call home. That's because they don't know Jesus yet. And because they don't know Jesus, they don't know who they are. And until you know who Jesus is, you'll never know who you are. 
Our Bible story tells us today that it's in the context of a small group in an uncomfortable and even awkward place that the identity of Jesus was revealed to the apostle, Peter, and then Peter's identity was revealed to him. I told you guys that uh, I was a young teenager and I started a small group upstairs in the dormitory. And after we had been together for a long time and we were studying the Bible, uh, we got a, I had a, a big conviction that everyone needed to have a personal chance to come to Jesus. I was so convinced of the message and the mission of Jesus that seriously, guys, every single person in my uh, academy who I had any kind of relationship with, I'd go to them and I'd say, hey, man, have you, have you thought about your life with Jesus? To every single person, I can tell you in an Adventist academy, some people, praise the Lord, accepted the call. It was like, you know what? You're right. I need to get my life right with Jesus. The majority of people rejected me or Jesus. I couldn't figure out which one at the time. I said, dude, you are a crazy Jesus freak. You need to kind of lay off me, you know, in this, in, in this way. I, I, I'm all right. And, and I remember at that time feeling like I had gone through every single person in that academy to give them an opportunity to know Jesus. The end of my sophomore year came around and I moved up to Canada uh, where we were living. It was a boarding academy. So I was back up in Canada where, I, where, I, where I'm from. And uh, I had a choice going into my 11th grade year, guys, you like this, uh, going into my 11th grade year, where I was going to go to school. Was I going to go to a public school near me, or was I going to go to the small Seventh-day Adventist school just 30 minutes away? And from being a Christian and learning that when you only speak in spiritual terminology, people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Uh, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So you have to learn to articulate yourself in a way that makes sense to other people. And so when people used to ask me, so what, what school are you going to go to? You're going to go to the Adventist school or your local public school. I would tell them, well, I'm going to go to the public school because the Adventist school has a gymnasium with a carpet for the floor. And I'm a basketball player and I don't want to play basketball on the carpet. Any basketball players here? I got an amen in second, first service. <laughs> Didn't want to play basketball on the carpet floor. Uh, the, the reason I'm going to the public school is because at the public school, it's a 30, 40, uh, it's a, it's a five-minute commute, but at the Adventist school, it's, it's right on time. I can be there and, you know, I can be there quickly, whereas the Adventist school takes a long time to get there. That's, that's why I think I'm going to go to the public school. I looked at the class sizes at the Adventist school. It wasn't great like Spencerville. There was about, you know, five to 10 people in every high school class. And I said, ah, you know, the reason I want to go to a public school is that I want to have a class that's bigger than five to 10 people. Uh, but that's what I told people. But that's not really why I decided to go to a public school. Uh, I just told people what would make sense to them. The real reason I went to a public school in grade 11, Dr. E.P. Scarlett, is that I was so serious of the mission and the message of Jesus that I wanted to see what it was like to share my faith to people who had never heard of us before. And so every single day I would pray, God, let me be a witness today. I'd fold up my Bible and I'd put it in my book bag and I'd get, take, get it on the bus and I'd go to public school and I'll tell you what, did I witness? <laughs> I witnessed the Muslims and they witnessed to me. You'll get that when you go home. 
I witnessed to Mormons and they witnessed to me. I witnessed to other Christians and man, did they witness to me. I witnessed to my teachers. My teachers didn't like it. <laughs> they told me to stop. <laughs> uh, I even got the opportunity to play on the basketball team, you know, 1,500 person school, and uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to be one of the starting guards on the team. And for the first time in my life, Chase, you should listen to this, first time in my life, I'm sitting there and I have to make a choice if I'm going to follow my faith or, or am I going to put my sport life and my, my, the love of sports I have before my faith. Because even though the games were on Tuesday and Thursday, all the practices, I mean, all the tournaments were on Friday night and Saturday morning. And so if you know anything about teenage boys, at least at the teenage boy like me, there's only two things you care about. And Chase, please give me an amen on this. There's only two things that teenage boys care about. You care about girls? Amen? No, okay. And you care. I got an amen from them. You care about girls and you care about sports. And everything else is whatever. And so I was there and I had to make a choice. Okay, half of my life I'm going to have to sacrifice for my faith. I was like, okay, God, like, what do you want me to do? Maybe this is a chance to witness, but I really want to play sports, but we know the Sabbath is holy. You know, a day set apart to honor God. So as a young kid, not at the pleading of my parents, not at the, you know, advice of the church or whatever, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to my coach and I'm going to tell him, you know, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I honor the Sabbath, kind of like the Jews do, and I'm not able to play sports on the Sabbath. I mean, that guy was, he was a good coach, but he was upset with me. He's like, man, you're letting the team down. You're letting, the, uh, you know, your friends down. You should really give it some consideration. The first weekend went by, Friday night, Saturday, the tournament went by. They got in third place or something. And when I went back to that public school on Monday morning, my nickname had changed. My name was no longer Matthew but it changed to Saturday. 1,500 people have seen me throughout the hall. What's up, Saturday? He had a good game last night. What's up, Saturday? How you doing? What's up, Saturday? Glad to see you. What's up, Saturday? My nickname changed in public school, and you know, I can tell you it was, it was a hard experience because you lose your identity, but you begin to know a little bit more about Christ's identity, and you get a little bit more, you know a little bit more about what you're supposed to do in this world. Uh, but one thing I had not been taught, and guys, I really wish I had ta been taught this and been emphasized to me, is that if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot be a Christian on your own. You cannot live a life of faith completely in isolation. You can have friends, you can have family, but you need a community of faith to support you. Because after a semester of witnessing and being on fire and trying to do my best to, to spread the gospel of the kingdom, eventually, my Bible that used to go in my backpack stayed at home. Eventually, my witness every single day and every single opportunity began to fade. And the fire I had for Jesus, the fire I had for Jesus began to die. And I was alone, and my faith dwindled like a fire that went out. And I think of my experience at a public school with many people, and I know from working at large churches like this, that some of you here in church today 
feel like I felt as a public school kid in Canada. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel like you're an island. You feel like if something bad were to happen to you, no one would care and it wouldn't even matter if you were here. That's why it's so important that Jesus left a method of ministry for us to follow. That you don't be a Christian by yourself, but you join a community of faith that can keep you on fire for the kingdom. You know, one of the hobbies I like to do uh, in the fall, I picked it up in Michigan, is I like to burn stuff in my backyard, legally, in a, in a you know, in a fire pit. And have you ever noticed, you know, when you take a big piece of firewood and you put it in the fire pit and you light it on fire, it's like a beautiful, you know, miracle. There's fire and it starts to flame and burn. But if you leave that piece of firewood there by itself for long enough, it burns out. You have to put other pieces of firewood onto the existing firewood in order to keep the fire going. And I'm not a pathfinder. Shout out to pathfinders after the service. But uh, I never got the pathfinder badge that taught me how to put fire together in just the right way. So I've learned this recently that if you have a flaming fire with lots of firewood there and you take a fire stick and you push it, uh, the, the pieces of fire away from each other, even though the fire was raging and, and, and beautiful and bright and warm, when you separate the pieces of firewood, very quickly the fire is extinguished and the flame goes away. If you didn't get it, each and every one of us are like pieces of firewood. That in order for us to keep our faith on fire for Jesus, we're never meant to do it alone. We were meant to come together in community, in a small group, to keep ourselves in love and on fire with Jesus. You know, I wish I had time to get into the theological debates on this passage because as Seventh-day Adventists who are Protestant, we do not believe that Peter was the first pope who gave apostolic succession to all the remaining popes so that everything they say is true. In the very words of Peter, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. In short, we believe in the priesthood of all believers so that your ability to be on fire for God and to unlock the keys of the kingdom to heaven is in this word. And you don't have to be an ordained clergyman to know what the Bible says and to make a difference for the kingdom. Every single man and woman, child or adult, can have access to this word, can preach it, can teach it under the influence of the Holy Spirit and make a difference in the world. That is the call of Christ for every single one of us. Jesus doesn't want you to go through life in Christian culture never knowing who Jesus is for yourself. Jesus doesn't want you to go through life not knowing who you are in Jesus. Jesus wants you to have every single opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. And guys, as good as our worship service is, best in the area, it will never be enough so that you can flame your fire for Christ in the world. You need to gather together 
in a connect group, in a small group, with friends who now have no other agenda except to draw close to Jesus and make a difference in the world. So if I were Jesus, if I were Jesus, and I wanted every single person to know their identity in Christ, I would have them join a connect group or start a connect group. If I were Jesus and I wanted every young man and young woman to be saved in the kingdom and know who they are and their identity, I'd have them join a connect group or start a connect group. If I were Jesus and I wanted all my friends and all my family to have the best chance of learning about my saving grace, I wouldn't put it on the pastor, but I'd put it on every single member who believes in my name to start a connect group or join a connect group so they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real, that God cares, and that God is there for you. I know there are many excuses for why we might not have the time to join together in a community of faith. But I just want to implore you, if I were Jesus, if I were Jesus, you would make the time, I would make the time so that we can prioritize our faith. And in the closing scenes of Earth's history, because of our commitment to come together, to know God and to share God, the world would be changed. God bless you.